All right, some of you starting a, a good old-fashioned game of what about on the text line. We don't do that here. We've talked about that. So don't be asking me what Rachel Notley's percentage was in the last election. I don't know. And, and that's what I said. Uh, two weeks from now, a month from now, as we go into the... Uh, the general election, nobody will know what Daniel Smith's percentage was in this by-election either, and nobody will care. Nobody knows what Jason Kenney's was until I brought it. It, it, it. We're talking about it today for analytical reasons, but at the end of the day, a win is a win, okay? So I don't know what Rachel Notley's was, and I don't suspect many people do, because it doesn't matter it's who won and who lost. But let's get some insight here from Melissa Cowett, who is the Western Canada Public Policy Professional and Principal of MC Consulting. Melissa, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Shay. Yeah, a lot of people saying today, you know, yeah, she won, but it wasn't as big a win as she might have expected. I mean, ultimately, who cares, right? I mean, a win is a win. Is that where we're at? I think so. You make a good point. There's a lot of, I see on social media this morning, a lot of people saying, you know, the NDP won the popular vote in Medicine Hat, um, signaling that they did well in the cities. But no, she won. She won with over 54% um, of the vote. She has a majority. Um, So, I mean, I think... You can't get much more decisive than that. It's it's a win. She doubled the votes of the NDP competitor, uh, more than doubled. So, yeah, I mean, okay, maybe it would have been a more resounding victory. And, and I, I don't know. But bottom line, um, in terms of the one question I have, Melissa, are you surprised by the voter turnout? I think it was about 30, it's about a third, 35 percent, somewhere around there for the premier of the province, the leader of the UCP. I, I would expect it would generate a little more excitement. Clearly, it didn't. Yeah, the, the voter turnout is definitely lower than we would see in a general election when there's a lot of energy around the campaign, where there's a lot of attention around the campaign. Um and, you know, Danielle Smith, she won the leadership um, race on a Thursday and the by-election was called on a Tuesday. So there wasn't a whole lot of runway. In fact, until the day after she won the leadership, people didn't even really know where she would be running in a by-election. So the mm-hmm. momentum that you would typically get before a by-election is called that a candidate would have, you didn't have that here. And um, so I think, you know, she kind of she had to hit the ground running. There wasn't a lot of time to build. Uh, momentum and and I think you know they did what they could. The other the other campaigns, um, you know the the NDP for example has nominated several candidates across the province, and so those candidates have been already at work um, in terms of engaging voters. So you know the voter turnout definitely lower than you would probably want, but by elections do have typically lower voter turnout, so it's not entirely surprising. I would say. Is this sort of okay? We've got that out of the way. That was a formality almost. It was in a writing that we knew she was going to win, and now we can actually get down to the real campaigning for the next election. Trying to do some governing in the meantime, but all eyes on what happens in May. Is that sort of okay? That's out of the way. Now let's get down to the real job at hand. I think it's this tag team effort between governing and what's going to happen in the 2023 election, because those are inextricably linked because this is a new premier. So she can't just now have a seat in the legislature and basically only talk about campaign promises. She's going to have to build a bit of a record um, over the next few months as well. And, and so that's that's why this seat was so important, so that she can sit in the legislature for the throne speech on November 29th, so that she can um, be there introducing important pieces of legislation. So I don't think that it's smart. It would be smart for the government to totally just focus on the campaign. They do have to build a track record. And the premier does um, have to build that 
familiarity and trust with Albertans. Right now, a lot of the relationship that she has with the electorate is based on things um, that have happened years ago. Some things that have happened in the past few weeks that she's made mistakes on, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But if she wants to reset that relationship, she has to she has to put in the work. And I think she's willing to do that from what I've seen. Uh, how important is it within the party? There was a lot of talk that the party would be looking close. We Clearly, there are some cur- concerns about some of the positions that she's taken, and we've seen it play out recently with Nadine Wellwood, who shared a lot of the same views that Danielle Smith did, uh, was told she's not allowed to run for the UCP. Clearly, there is a faction within the party leadership that still has some some nervous energy about all of this. Yeah, and it's it's correct to have nervous energy because we are now shifting to a point where people are watching. All eyes are on the yeah. UCP, and it is to a larger audience. And people people are um, a little bit frayed from all of the arguing, regardless of which side of these issues you fall on during COVID, et cetera. So, um, you know, the, the, the goal for the UCP and any political party, frankly, is to be recruiting candidates that can elicit that broad base of support. Um, and so that's what it appears they're doing. Smith is in a bit of an easier position to rebuild that reputation with Albertans because when you're sitting um, in the premier's chair, you have a lot more power to to try and do things that um, that prove what your beliefs are now than somebody who's who's running in a in a um, in a riding election, for example. And so, um, you know, you see some of you see you see that as a struggle, absolutely. But I I think that she, from what I've seen at least, in, in the tones that you hear in the speech, she does acknowledge that that is something that she needs. Um, to be a leader on um, so that when things are happening with other candidates, she has sort of some, some ground to stand on with respect to that. Hey, Melissa, I want to ask you your thoughts on the Alberta party. I mean, I didn't anticipate that Barry Morishita would win the by-election, but I'm really surprised he only pulled 16.5% in. What is his... I mean, if he's going to get support anywhere, uh, it would be in Brooks. And it, uh, this has to be seen as nothing less than a crushing defeat for the Alberta party, doesn't it? I think so. I think a lot of people, you know, perhaps a year and a half or so ago, were thinking that the Alberta party would maybe reemerge as being the sort of PC party of of this decade and, and sort of be that moderate party that's, you know, not so far right, not so far left, speaking to those Albertans. But, um, you know, there, there are a few things, I think, that indicate that they don't have the momentum that some people would think. First of all, um, Janet Brown released a poll a couple of weeks ago showing that they're polling, you know, at like 3% yeah. um, provincially. So that's like, that's, that's not competitive. You look at how many candidates they've nominated as well. They have not nominated very many candidates. In fact, the Green Party has nominated more candidates than they have at this stage. So you see that plus this, um, this situation in, in, um, Brooks Medicine Hat. And I just don't think that there's the momentum behind the Alberta Party. I also think it's harder to break through, um, for the Alberta Party because the NDP has really began to occupy that space. Like they have moved into the center big time. And in fact, if you look at the, um, the tones of the UCP policies and the NDP policies, um, in in fact, they are quite similar. The tone, I think, is a bit different in terms of like how they would approach some of these issues. Mm-hmm. But from an issue perspective, like affordability, healthcare, 
um, um, jobs and economy. These are these are the same issues that both of those parties are talking about. So I think it makes it really difficult for a third party like the Alberta party to break through. It could it be also, and this is just my own thinking, maybe there's some of, we voted against things in this province quite a bit. I know in speaking with the audience, there's a lot of people who would never vote NDP. And I think they, they, the, the fear for an NDP government, or if you're an NDP supporter, the fear of a UCP government is so strong that even if you're not all in with the UCP or the NDP, you don't want to risk letting whoever the one that you don't like in is. So you don't want to quote unquote waste your vote by throwing it to the Alberta party because you want to close the door more than you actually want to vote for something. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting point, Shay, and something that I've been thinking about a lot. Um, I don't think in 2022 in Alberta, um, it's enough to just vote anymore. We've seen the way that both the UCP and the NDP have evolved over time. The UCP has moved um, further right the NDP has moved further center, which if you are a traditional NDP voter, you might be thinking, hey, this party is a little bit too centrist for me. I want it to be a little bit further left. Mm-hmm. But the only way really to, to do that and to make sure that political parties are reflecting what more than just the sort of extremes or the um, the far ends of the spectrum want is to really actually just start getting involved in party politics. And that doesn't mean that you have to run as a candidate. It doesn't mean that you yeah. have to you know, every week be donating your time, but just really showing up to conventions, showing up to um, to things where people's opinions on these topics are being solicited, because I, I really do think that in in today's political environment, if we want to vote for something, we do have to try and help shape that, even though people will probably make fun of me for being idyllic in that sense. But I do think it's really important, especially if we do see our political parties maybe not reflecting um most of what we want. There's nothing wrong with a little idealism when it comes to politics these days, Melissa. I think it's a good thing. We all can vision something much better than the environment that we've created for ourselves now. So uh, I, I'm with you on that one. And and as always, I appreciate you joining us this morning. Thanks for being here. Hi, it's Shauna. And I might be a bad parent because my kids think French fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan. And I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.